You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. I almost said Shareathon 2022. It's what it kind of feels like. It right does. Now. Thanks so much to our <laughs> listeners who support, who who showed up and and have supported KFU during Shareathon 2022. That was a blast. It was fun to to get in yeah. studio and have live studio guests. And you can still participate in Shareathon 2022. You can go on kfuo.org/shareathon and you can uh, click and make a gift there as well. We have a great in-studio guest who was here not too long ago, just uh, for share just a couple of days ago. Yeah. It is a special day for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, it 175th is. anniversary of the Synod. I feel like we should have had cake in the studio today. We, we should have. That would have been fun. <laughs> I would have. <laughs> We're going to chat about the 175th anniversary. It's also call day here in St. Yeah, Louis at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Um, what else could we add to this it's occasion? A big day. Big right. week for Any the other Synod. other feasts or festivals going on today? <laughs> Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University. University of Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. So you should have your April issue of the Lutheran Witness in hand by now. If not, then you, you need to call someone. You need to, you need to get it because <laughs> it, it, it's delivery is really really slow. Um, you should have your April issue of the Lutheran Witness, which takes a look at 175 years of our Lutheran heritage. In studio today with us, the Reverend Roy Askins, managing editor of the Lutheran Witness and author of this fantastic article in a German name that I'm not going to butcher. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Happy anniversary. Thank you. Happy to you as well. I, I'll be honest, as we were talking about, uh, I'm not going to butcher it either. I'm going to hand it over to Sarah to oh, butcher thanks, the guys. German here. So thanks. The, the title is, of the article, Die Deutsche Evangelisch Lutherische Synod von Missouri, Ohio und anderen Staaten. Hopefully I didn't butcher that too badly. <laughs> so in English... <laughs> This is the German Evangelical Lutheran Synod of uh, Missouri, Ohio, and other states. And we're going to talk about that, because that's really fascinating to me. But, but und understaten is much more fun to say. It is much more fun to say, definitely. It really is. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, and this was the name of the synod for many, many yeah. years, yeah. up until the, oh, I don't know, when it, this would have been the 40s and 50s that we changed it to uh, LCMS. But. Because... So that was too long of a title to put on paper. <laughs> it was People too German it. of a title to put on paper. Yeah. <laughs> there after World War One and the World War Two, we mm -hmm. started kind of distancing ourselves from the uh, the German emphasis. So, so you got to do, I'm sure, tons of research for this. Yes. How long were you researching for this article? So uh, Eric and I, Eric, our synod photographer, and I visited. Um, Almost half of these congregations in person. Wow. And Eric uh, actually visited all of them, I think, but maybe one or two that we already had photography for. And uh, he made uh, images for all of those congregations. Um, we visited them. We interviewed pastors. We interviewed lay people. And then uh, what's really fascinating about many of these congregations that have this long history, these 150, 175-year-old congregations, uh, these would have been, I guess, at least 175, they typically have anniversary books, you know, like for, you know, 100 years, 150 years, 175 years. And so we got all of this great information. They gave us all of these wonderful booklets and information uh, on these churches. And, uh, and so... Yeah, spent a lot of time visiting churches and, and reading old historical uh, records and, and unearthing all sorts of great little treasures along the way. It was a lot of fun. So I'm just a little jealous because this is totally my wheelhouse, too, of synod history and all of this stuff. I've researched some of this for some of the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcasts, mm -hmm, too. Mm -hmm. So this is, a, this is a very historical, nerdy uh, Lutheran witness, and it's fantastic. So you're, you're referring to the, the original 14 congregations of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and we'll get to what who those are in a second. Let's back up a little bit though mm -hmm. to the to the start at the beginning. Why 
Why did German Lutheran immigrants even come to the United States? So we had uh, what's typically when we think of the formation of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, um, we tend to focus on the Saxon immigration. So mm -hmm. this would have been CFW Walther and Company, and uh, they're landing in St. Louis and then eventually ending up in Perry County. Mm -hmm. And then the, the whole scandal that happens with Martin mm -hmm. Stefan and... Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and so we tend to kind of focus on that side of things, especially because, you know, we're here in St. Louis. Uh, but there were Germans migrating to the U.S. for any number of reasons. So part of the reason the Saxons left was for religious reasons. Uh, the Prussian Union, they were being forced to join in fellowship uh, with those that they fundamentally disagreed with, especially on doctrines and teaching regarding the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were other reasons as well. Um, the uh, one example would be the Frankenmuth congregation from uh, Neuendettelsau, Germany. Um, and they actually left uh, as, a, as a missionary endeavor. Actually, uh, Leah mm -hmm. heard the call from Winniken. Uh, Winniken wrote a letter asking for... for um, pastors and missionaries to come to the United States in order to uh, proclaim the gospel to um, the Native Americans here in uh, in the U.S. And uh, Wil Wilhelm Lea was a pastor in Germany. He heard that call, and he came up with this idea of what he called a missionary colony. And he brought together five families and then uh, and then a pastor and, and who wasn't actually married at the time. And he brought together these, these uh, actually I should say five couples, because they weren't five families yet. Um, there was only one family, and then there were four couples that wanted to be married. But they couldn't be married in, in Bavaria at the time, because uh, the, whatever the regulations were, uh, they were uh, concerned about having too many kids, and so it was actually very difficult to get married. You had to meet all sorts of specific criteria in terms mm -hmm. of income and whatever to get married. So they, they leave the country, and the first thing they do on the boat is they marry these four couples immediately. I love it. Yeah, isn't that great? It's so wow. Lutheran. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they, they leave. Uh, Leah brings these, these, uh, these couples together and trains them to be a missionary colony. But you can see right away that there's actually already a dual motivation. Part of it is these couples just wanted to be married and live together as husband and wife, and you know, you know. But they also went as a missionary colony, and so they ended up in Frankenmuth, uh, Michigan, which at the time was the front edge of the frontier. Um, they they took boats up uh, into the region and then hiked the rest of the way. They had to cut down trees. You know, they they built their buildings themselves. Right as soon as they mm -hmm. got there, they had literally nothing starting from scratch. Um, they built uh, two two buildings to start with. Uh, one was the communal housing, you know, four newlyweds and one one couple that, uh, that already had one child. They all lived in same, in one one room building, right? Uh, and then they, yeah, oof, exactly. Welcome <laughs> and to the, life on the frontier. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then they built another building, which was uh, the sanctuary, the schoolroom, and then the upstairs, and it, not really the upstairs, the attic of that room was the pastor's uh, quarters with his wife. He actually met a woman on the way over, on the mm -hmm. boat over, and they got married in New York. It was really amazing. I did a podcast on their story. Oh, yeah, it's a fantastic <laughs> story, right? It's an awesome story. Well, yeah, she she had a child from another uh, marriage, and mm -hmm. the the people were just absolutely scandalized by this. Yep. Uh, and uh, they ended up married, and and she was became a huge blessing to the community. Uh, and part of the the reason, so the, back to the building, the building was the sanctuary, the the pastor's house, but also the schoolroom. And part of what they did is they brought in the Native American children, taught them to read and write, uh, and those children it became a boarding 
boarding school, and those children mm-hmm. lived with a pastor in his attic upstairs. And his wife became kind of uh, the matron of uh, those children, but then also in part of that uh, Native American community there in Frankenmuth, Michigan. So, so you have these, these various motivations. You've got uh, escaping religious persecution. You've got uh, missionary uh, colony. You've got, uh, you know, want to get married and can't do that in the old world. Uh, there was also simply more opportunities in the U.S. as well, kind of the traditional American um, uh, uh, reason for coming over here. Uh, there was a lot of poverty in Germany, uh, and people realized, you know, there's great opportunities in the U.S., and they, they migrated to U.S. for that purpose as well. So there's kind of a whole broad range of reasons why why there were these migrations coming over. So you've already given us a little glimpse of what life was like on the yeah. frontier for this <laughs> this missionary colony. But looking at these other congregations, there were about 14 congregations. Mm-hmm. What was life, congregational life like for these congregations pre-synod? What was, what was it yeah. like to be in a congregation that was, are, are we a church? Are we connected to the church back in Germany yeah. without the synod here? Yeah, that you know. So this was one of the struggles. Um, they depended largely on circuit preachers at the time, so they didn't necessarily have a connection or a very strong connection to a church body necessarily. Uh, one one congregation uh, also in this in this issue, not this article, but a, a previous article, we actually visited a congregation that was two hundred that is celebrating two hundred and fifty years. That's so, amazing. Yeah, isn't that great? Seventy five years prior to synod, right? And, and wow. this is this is a great for us to remember, right? You know, we're celebrating. 175 years, and that's great. But it's also helpful for us, and that's why we included this article in that congregation. It's helpful for us to remember that the church preceded the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, right. <laughs> and it's going to continue to follow afterwards as well, right? right? And that's helpful for us also to keep in mind. But this, this so this, the reason I bring up that church is they had, uh, it, as with many of these churches, it started as families gathering together and uh, recognizing the need to gather around the preaching of God's word, and when they were able, the sacraments. But once again, they were dependent on these the circuit rider preachers that could only come maybe once a month, uh, maybe every other month, maybe once a year, right? Because these circuit riding preachers uh, covered vast swaths of territory. And it also wasn't um, always easy to find a circuit riding preacher mm-hmm. that you knew was faithful. You know, one story from, from this is great, this is from New Menden, right? Where uh, the circuit rider preacher comes and he does his thing and then reveals later on that he's actually Jewish and he's only doing the circuit riding preacher thing to pay his bills, right? And of course, the people are scandalized by this. So one of the issues that they quickly realized is the need for uh, some sort of formal organization to oversee uh, the pastors and the preaching and to to bring together into unity one another so that they can they can share in this confession and this proclamation and and this happens this starts to happen because CFW Walther is publishing Der Lutheraner which mm-hmm. is the German uh, newsletter that he puts out and other Lutheran congregations are getting this newsletter and they're reading it and they're saying this is what we believe teach and confess uh, we need to bring uh, come together around a church body which Walther was also advocating for as well. So uh, that was part of the huge struggle is just, you know, who do you know as a faithful preacher? How do you know this person's a faithful preacher? You know, you just don't. Right. Uh, And so that that's part one of the reasons then for the formation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod or Die Deutsche Evangelische Lutherische Synode von Missouri, Ohio and Undorenstaten. 
And here we thought that just building your homes from raw lumber, like from logs, you know, <laughs> cutting down falling trees in order right. to build your old own homes was the challenge. But really, it's finding a faithful preacher on the yes. frontier, mm-hmm. having yes. a faithful preacher for your congregation on the frontier. We, we will continue our conversation with Pastor Askins in just a moment as we take a look at the 175th anniversary of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod on the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Listen up, we have something for you. Have you scrolled through your podcast, searching for one that catches your ear? A place you can escape to with inviting conversations, laughter, and fellowship with your Lutheran sisters? Look no further. I'm Sarah. I'm Rachel. I'm Erin. And I'm Bree. Join us on the sofa in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. It's a podcast oasis for you, dear sisters, to sit, rest your feet, and stay a while. And on the way out, we'll even check your lipstick. Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available wherever you get your podcasts. Tuesday's Rumination Law and Gospel will include both myself, Tom Baker, and Mark Smith in preparing you to sing the hymn of the week for the following Sunday, which always focuses on the salvation won for us by the life, death, and resurrection of both Jesus and through Him, our death and resurrection. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Sarah and I are geeking out uh, and a bit envious of yes, Pastor Askins' <laughs> um, nerd trip to get to go. Yes. Is, that a, is that a fair way to describe it? Yes, nerd, his, nerd historian trip to, to go research all this history of the Synod? Oh, yes. A total nerd trip. I loved every minute of it. It was fantastic. <laughs> Jealous. You'll notice. I mean, I, I think I wrote half of this issue, right? I wrote the two major articles in the issue. So it was like, yes, I get to write all sorts of nerd history. Yes. <laughs> but it's so, I mean, it's so fascinating. We were just talking even off air, some of the local history too that Mm -hmm. we have you know can go to visit here some of the sites here in the Mm -hmm. st louis area and perry county as well so we talked a little bit about life on the frontier what that was like some of the challenges they faced um, as as congregations how about the pastors you mentioned circuit riders for those who were faithful pastors what were some of the challenges they faced like trying to serve how many congregations at one time yeah so i mean this is uh, one of the things you'll find as you look through the history of these pastors these early pastors is how often they actually died rather young uh, mm-hmm. or rather soon after taking one of these these uh, positions um the guy that preceded uh Winniken in in um in uh, the Fort Wayne area. I think he served a year or two before he died, right? Mm-hmm. Um, C.F.W. Walther's brother uh, actually only served like two years at Trinity uh, here in, well, it's Trinity Soulard now. Um, he only died, you know, he served two or three years and then he died. And part of that is just because of how difficult the work of ministry was in this context. And as a good example of this, you have uh, uh, Winnikin, for example, and what he did. He, he served actually a dual parish, uh, St. Paul in Fort Wayne, 
and Zion and Friedheim, and they're 16 miles apart, which for us today, not a big deal, right? He was doing this whole thing on horseback uh, mm-hmm. at the time. But not only that, he was doing circuit riding, which meant he was going, he was caring for those two congregations, but then he was frequently traveling in the northeastern Indiana. Uh, he was traveling to uh, western Ohio, and then all the way up into Michigan, all on horseback, right? Regardless of the weather, whatever was going on, uh, doing all of this traveling to care for and provide for God's people. Oftentimes, you often find that congregations can't afford to support or couldn't afford to support their pastors financially. So there was one uh, one young man who who left uh, Germany again, also because of Le- uh, Leah, and came to the U.S., uh, received education here in the U.S. as a pastor, or I guess he enrolled to become a pastor, and then uh, found a congregation actually needed him. So he, he left his, his, his work there because he'd already had some previous training in Germany, uh, came to serve as their pastor, but they couldn't afford to pay him anything. And they said, uh, we just want you to live with us in our homes. We'll feed you from our tables and you'll just kind of move from home to home, you know, as time allows. And this is how we'll provide for you. And he, that's what he did. And he, he uh, cared for the congregation that way. Another, another congregation, they couldn't afford to build a parsonage. And so they just literally split the sanctuary in half and said, hmm. this half of the sanctuary is your home for your, you and your newlywed wife. Uh, it's like a 12 by 20 uh, room that they oh shared for all of their you know, housing and kitchen and supplies, whatever. And then we'll meet in the other half for the divine service and for church. Just absolutely amazing. Short commute. <laughs> Very short commute. That actually probably would be the shortest commute I've, I've seen. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so it, it was very much a struggle, um, and, and uh, but what is what comes through clear through all of these histories is how dedicated the people of God were, both in providing for their pastors, uh, but also in providing for their children that their children might continue to hear the proclamation of God's word. Uh, both in how they taught, but then also in providing resources, building churches. I mean, you look at the church buildings that they built at this time. They're beautiful. They're beautiful, right? And and they cost, you know, uh, the, the Trinity downtown, I want to say, was nearly, was it, uh, it's in here somewhere, $300,000. I, I apologize, that's not correct. Whatever the number was, it's an astronomical <laughs> amount of money. And these people were living on the frontier, making virtually no money. But that's how yeah. dedicated they were to providing for the church and caring for the church. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, so it, you know, yes, of course, the pastor struggled, but the pastors lived among the people who are also struggling to hear, uh, t- struggling to make ends meet and provide for their families. And, and yet they were dedicated to it. I, I know the story what, that I wanted to mention about the, uh, the congregations. Uh, there were people that wanted to build this church in Trinity Soulard, and the way they did this was by mortgaging their own homes hmm. in order to donate that money to build the congregation there at Trinity Soulard. I mean, what dedication. I mean, imagine today, you know, somebody coming to you and saying, would you uh, mortgage your house again so that we could add, do an add-on for church? I mean, people would just really struggle with that, right? But this is how dedicated they were at that time uh, in terms of their passion for providing for the church. It was 113,000, I found it. Ah, I knew there it was in go. there somewhere. It yeah. was in there. You wrote which, it. <laughs> which, yeah, I did write it. Which, and he, that was in 1865, That's so just do the math. Yeah, it was a ton of money in 1865. Yeah. 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 Well, and you mentioned uh, that support of the pastors. That's part of the reason the Walther League started, too. Now, this was mm-hmm. in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. but because pastors needed education, they didn't have money. And so a group of guys got together and like, we're going to fund your education. And that's how the Walther League ended up starting, too. Yeah. Well, and fun story about Walther League. Uh, it, its first meeting was in Tonawanda, yep. New York, which was also founding congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Yep. So, yeah, so cool. a wonderful story. Yeah. Everything's connected. So speaking, uh, I want to get to this before we run out of time. There's so much to talk about. Speaking Speaking of the 
founding congregations. Uh, where are these founding congregations in, in the United States? And this is what, why I, I mentioned earlier, uh, and other states is so amusing. I love it. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, the, the thing is, it really should have been the Deutsch Evangelical Lutheran Synod of Indiana and other states. Right. Because most of these congregations are actually located in, in Indiana. You have, uh, and, and this really points to the influence of Winnikin in bringing these people together. Of course, you have Walther and his uh, absolutely vital work with uh, Der Lutheraner. Mm-hmm. But the only church, there were only two churches in Missouri that joined, Perry County, you know, kind of the heart of uh, LCMS Lutheranism in many ways, or uh, didn't, there was no congregation in terms of the founding congregations from Perry County. Trinity Soulard uh, joined, and then the other one from Missouri, I'm not blanking right now. Is it Newman? New Mellie. New Mel- yeah, New Mellie. New Mellie, that's right. Uh, they also joined uh, as a founding congregation. Um, but most of the congregations were actually in and around Fort Wayne in that area and were under the influence of Winnikin. So you have St. Paul in Fort Wayne, Indiana. You've got Zion in Freedheim. You've got St. Peter Decatur. You've got uh, St. John in Decatur. And then uh, actually the Wilshire, Ohio, and the Marysville congregations are also uh, all part of this orbit surrounding Winnikin and, and the work that he was doing, uh, circuit writing there in that area. So then you also have, as we mentioned, uh, Frankenmuth, uh, the one up in Michigan, and then there's a couple in Illinois. Now, uh, we talk about 14 original congregations. There's 12 remaining. There were two other congregations. One was French, and the other was... I'm blanking on the other one. Uh, They joined for about a year. And then uh, it was actually a dual congregation, a a dual parish, I should say. They joined for about a year and then kind of fell away. So that's the one congregation that's that's still not... uh, in function or in operation today uh, of the, the, the 14 congregations. So, How did forming a synod, we, we haven't even gotten to the actual meeting here, but we're going to run out, <laughs> we're of, time run out of time soon. Part two. <laughs> How did forming a synod serve the, the congregations that, that agreed to, be, to, to join together as a synod? Yeah, so one of the the things is simply, well, I mean, there, there are a whole number of ways that this, this serve these congregations. Uh, one is that it brings them together around a shared confession. Um, at the time, American Lutheranism was being influenced in ways that were not very faithful. You have guys like uh, Samuel, Samuel Simon Schmucker, uh, who was kind of a schmuck, uh, uh, who was uh, trying to influence American Lutheranism away from its confessional identity and its confessional roots. In other words, he believed that we needed a new confession that spoke to the modern times mm-hmm. and that uh, that we needed to get away from this idea that Christ was really present in the Lord's Supper, that that baptism actually forgave sins. He denied all that sort of stuff. And he was a Lu- American Lutheran, right? Uh, and this was somewhat pervasive in American Lutheranism uh, at the time. And so what this d- did is this, uh, this church body, gave a place for American, German-speaking American Lutherans to come together and say, here's what we believe, teach and confess, and to encourage and help one another. But it also helped provide a structure for ways that these congregations can work together. So uh, the result of the the merger was that the seminary formed by Walther and the Perry County Lutherans was given to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, so now they could start forming pastors both there and in Fort Wayne. Uh, I would note that the Fort Wayne Seminary actually became part of the LCMS when it was formed, and uh, the the Concordia Seminary St. Louis was was donated a little bit later. Uh, You also get Concordia Publishing House as a consequence of this merger, so now you have a church body that is... uh, 
uh, or not a church body, but a publishing house that's creating and publishing content in German for these churches. Uh, and, and so you have all of these things that start coming together and rolling together that enable these congregations to continue to remain faithful to the proclamation of God's word uh, and the preaching of his sacraments. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. The other thing that it did, and you'll see this in the schooling in particular, is that it helped preserve a German Lutheran identity and the emphasis there on the German. Um, we continued to use German up until the, uh, well, uh, kind of between the two world wars, really World War II is the end of, of most of German language uh, in our Lutheran churches. But we continued to publish Der Lutheraner until, do you know when we stopped publishing Der Lutheraner? Oh, this yes. was a trivia question during share too, and it I was, was totally wrong. It was. Can you remember? It was like 1970 something. Yes, 1974. Yeah. That's right. Which is absolutely amazing to me. I, 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 I keep bringing that up just because it I just absolutely <laughs> astounds me. Uh, it, we published uh, Der Luther Honor until 1974 in German. Uh, and, uh, you know, you still have churches like uh, Frankenmuth, St. Lorenz and Frankenmuth, that have a German service once a month, mm-hmm. uh, which is just um, amazing. And there's people there singing in German and, like, can actually follow along. Uh, so um, the formation of this church body allowed this preservation both of a German identity and a Lutheran identity. And that begins to shift into more of an American identity post-World War One and into World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of what what helps uh, what helped them uh, what they were able to accomplish we only have about a minute and a half left and all of these questions are big questions so i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna try to give you one that's short uh what what was the role this is not gonna be a short question was there a role of of uh, christian education lutheran education in the formation of the synod yeah so christian education was probably one of the most important roles uh that the synod had um Winnikin, uh, along with Walther, believed that Christian education, and this was in particular Christian education of the youth, was a responsibility of the church. And so every one of these founding churches actually had a school founded alongside. In some instances, the school was actually founded first before the Mm. congregation was. Uh, And what's amazing is of these 12 congregations, I believe, is it eight of them, still have schools in operation to this day. Uh, St. Paul in Fort Wayne. I think their claim to fame is they have the oldest operating school in Indiana. Wow. Uh, continuously operating school in Indiana. Isn't that amazing? That's so cool. So because for them, the education wasn't necessarily about uh, advancing one's career, but ensuring that one was firmly grounded in the faith. And I think this is something that we need to work on uh, keeping in the forefront of our minds and maybe recovering a sense of, that the value of Lutheran education isn't necessarily that it gives me a leg up on the ne- guy next to me, but actually it firmly grounds my children in the the faith, that if they know that they are redeemed by Christ, it is okay if they know nothing else. This was, uh, uh, Bugenhagen said this, yes. right? Uh, uh, but if they know, <laughs> if they don't know Christ, then it doesn't matter what else they know, right? right. Uh, the, the huge value here is that it grounded their children in the faith, and that was their, their overriding concern. There is so much more to learn. Um, we couldn't fit it all in in 25 minutes, but go check out the April issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pastor Askins, fantastic job on all the great history. You and Eric did a great job researching this. Thank you for sharing it in this month's issue of The Lutheran Witness. Glad to do it. Lord be praised. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. Happy anniversary to Happy the anniversary. LCMS. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. <laughs> The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.
Dona.